Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Andrew Winwood is from Tasmania in Australia. Tasmania is, is one of the states of Australia. It's like a little island that sits off the bottom south end or southeast end of Australia. It has one deer species on the island or in Tasmania, and that's fallow deer. And interestingly enough, the Tasmanians have implemented a quality deer management approach to their fallow deer. And Andrew gets into it and starts talking about it, but we quickly get wrapped up into the typical conundrum that is Australia, which is the, the headbutting that occurs between this deer species or a deer species, a non-native, a feral, invasive, whatever you want to call it, and the native biodiversity, both flora and fauna, and the government's decisions typically to go in and spend taxpayer dollars to shoot these animals from helicopters versus letting hunters come in and pay them to do the same work. Fascinating conversation about a specific place in the world that you probably have never heard of and you probably didn't know that they had really, really good fallow deer hunting. You know, what's beautiful about these podcasts is that 
I get introduced to amazing people all over the world. And I don't I don't know them from a bar of soap. I don't know you from a bar of soap. I got introduced to you over email. Hey, this is a guy that you should chat to. <laughs> I said, okay, we're going to chat to this guy. Yep. And uh, it's early, early morning here in Mississippi. Uh, actually in Tennessee now. Um, just went on 6 a.m. On a, in the morning. Yep. And um, I've got a strong black death coffee from Dog and Gun Coffee. Uh, an Australian Australian coffee company that decided to up their game and create an extra dark coffee for those that need it, like us. And you, my friend, are having a wild turkey, one of my favorite whiskeys, bourbons in the whole wide world. Yeah, introduced to that by a, uh, a hunter that's passed now, and um, he no longer hunts with us, but we celebrate a wild turkey with him. Every time we go and have a hunt, and we're um, we're heading off tomorrow. We're on the on the ferry out of Tasmania tomorrow to go to mainland Australia um, to hunt samba deer. So there's a group of um, eight or nine of us heading over there to hunt samba deer tomorrow. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Well, Andrew Winwood, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. I'm excited to see where this conversation goes. For those people, and even me who don't know very much about who Andrew Winwood is, would you like to give us an introduction to who you are? Yep, well, we come from, um, if anybody out there knows Australia, like there's been a few guys um, from from the US and other states come down to Tasmania. Brian Murphy was one of the most notable. Um, oh, the Ex-Quality Deer Management Association. Yep. Well, he, um, CEO. He, he introduced most of Tasmania to the quality deer that we have now, prior to Braun being here, it was a bit of a, a bit of a rabble um, amongst deer and deer management in Tassie, and Braun helped us get, you know, Tasmanian fellow deer on track, and and whilst over the last couple of years, I believe we've probably drifted a little bit away, and we've we've sort of lost our way. I think, you know, not not all's lost, but the little island of Tassie is off the bottom of Australia, so um, we're separated by about. Um, 250 kilometres of water between mainland Australia. We only have one type of deer on the island in Tasmania, which is uh, fallow deer. They were introduced here in, in about 1830, um, and they and they've they've had um, uh, good outcomes and bad outcomes. You know, like we, we've got some fallow deer now going into our national parks, which is not good for fallow deer hunting. Um, but where the herds are managed properly on private property, they're doing quite well and, and the hunting's good. Um, Jim Shockey, uh, I don't know if you know Jim Shockey. Sure, sure. That's about three years ago on the property that I manage in Tassie. And, and um, Dr. Um, Craig Harper also come to... Oh, man, Craigie. He's a great guy. He shot a very good buck um, hunting with me on our property in Tasmania. So... You know, we've got some connections here, so it's um, it's a very small world when you start talking about hunting. So, Andrew, tell me a little bit about yourself. What profession? What you know? Why are you in the dare I say the deer business? But it's not really a deer business. Why are you in the deer politics? Uh, let me well, say that. I mean, I think it's um, it's inherited for me. Um, my father introduced both my brother and I to hunting at an early age. I harvested my first fellow buck when I was about. Um, 14 years of age, and from that point on, um, we've hunted every every fellow deer season. I don't think we've missed one now 
and um, next year I'll be 60. So I don't think I've missed a fallow buck season. In Tasmania, we're only allowed to ha- harvest one buck a year that, with it, on our licence. Um, we can harvest others on crop protection permits if the numbers are higher. Mm-hmm. So I think for me to get into the management side, it started with Brian Murphy. We did a short course on deer biology and the management of deer and what we could do in our state to improve deer and deer management here. So we, um, quite a few guys from Tassie, we sat through the course um, and from there it's grown for us, you know, and we've, we've taken a property, well, the property that, um, that I manage, we, just to give you some, some data around that property, and we started our game management plan post the Brian Murphy introduction. Um, we had 180 guys shooting on 20,000 hectares, and in the first season we harvested four bucks between wow. members. Um, and everyone was okay? And, Nobody and, wasn't rioting? Now, and um, the largest buck had 19 antler points, but the average was nine points. So you can see how poor the other deer mm-hmm. were and the deer management in that area had to go through a culture shock. So we did that. We took um, our deer and our hunters through a journey where we um, culled um, a lot of female deer to bring our ratios back to, to normal. And within within 10 years, we were harvesting, I think, in our 10th year, um, we were down to about 120 members. We harvested 25 um, mature bucks, um, only 10 years down the track, and they were averaging 21 points. You know, so the massive wow. difference between us understanding after listening to Brian about the, the breeding cycles and and when to harvest, when not to harvest, what to harvest, what not to harvest. Um, it really turned it around for our property. And, and our property now, um, like many others in Tasmania that are managed the same way under quality deer management and property-based game management plans, we're producing some really good um, quality fallow bucks. But at the moment, there's a real push within um, our department, which for, for those who don't know, the department for us is our government employees that work for the, for the wildlife um, departments. So mm-hmm. about managing our parks and our wildlife. And, and because, unfortunately, deer are introduced species, um, they're not high on the management scale for all these governments. Sure, sure. Yeah. Sure. So that, that brings us to wanting to manage more so managing our future than managing our deer itself. We we have a bigger we have a bigger task ahead of us to manage our future of hunting in Australia um, than we do managing the deer themselves. Andrew, that that's a very good point. Um, and it, let me ask your opinion: How prevalent is that thought process in the Australian hunter? Well, in that. You are dealing with feral species, dare I say feral species. Uh, I like Shane Broadbury's definition that is the new natives, right? Because your species have been on the continent, island of Australia, whatever you want to call it, um, for 200 years, 230 years. They're not going anywhere. They're not going to be eradicated. They're like, you know, just like pigs, but not like pigs. They're a resource. So what is the thought process there? Of most Amer- Australians. Well, the Australian the Australian hunters are a little bit complacent. They, I think, 
um, it's pretty natural amongst hunters that if it's not touching them, it's not going to affect them. And so you have a small group of people, and, and it is very small in Tasmania, that defend the position of recreational hunting, our traditional way of life, and the actual fact that that fellow deer were not introduced for somebody at some point to decide whether they should be eradicated. They were they were put here um, to be managed and to be to be utilised for the people, rather than some group of people or one person um, in power to say, well, we've decided that these deer have got to go. And I and I use and I use the um, the comment a lot of times with people that say about these deer introduced and we need to eradicate them. And I, I look at the deer's footprint on our landscape and then I look at the footprint of humans um, to clear land for sheep and cattle and and for roads and all we do, and and I'll, I'll say to people that say the deer should be eradicated and, and I say to them all the time, well, if we had a boatload of um, white people turn up and a boatload of fallow deer turn up, who do you think the Indigenous people would keep if they had mm. a who was coming to their land? Because mm. the footprint that us humans leave behind um, as an introduced species to Australia um, is far outweighs whatever the deer could do. And, and when you look at the deer um, in Tasmania, 95% um, of the wild fallow deer herd in Tasmania is based on private property. So it's based on land that's already been cleared it's land that's already been utilised for sheep, cattle, pigs, goats and the like. And we're talking about um, deer and deer management. So that's that's why I got involved. I got involved because I, I'm a second generation hunter. Um, my son's a third generation fellow deer hunter and, and my son Levi wouldn't be, if he's not the keenest hunter um, in Australia, he, he's very close, you know. <laughs> everything um i mean there wouldn't be an episode um that some of the guys on your youtube channels um of your bow hunting in towns and backyards and there wouldn't be there wouldn't be an episode that he's missed you know so it really mm -hmm. and i mean and there is room in australia for for deer as long as they're managed properly um as a hunting resource you know and but the problem that that we hunters face is we need to be united and we need to make these guys understand that um, that we, we really don't have a right to eradicate a species just, just because it's introduced. If the science says that these deer are no good for the environment, well then let's listen to the science. But we, we continually in Australia have these deer introduced, we need to eradicate them. You know, these deer... Mm -hmm. We don't get the science and we don't get um, the people coming to us saying, well, the science says that these deer should be eradicated because this is the proof that they're doing damage to our environment. Um, these are the, the native species that they're um, displacing. And we, we don't get that sort of information. All we get is the, you know, the constant barrage of people saying, oh, just because they're introduced, they should be eradicated. Mm -hmm. so, but, so that but, really swells up a fight within um, a lot of recreational hunters. And sure. whilst um, people say that we, we do it recreationally, we do it not only recreationally, but we do it to feed our families. 
We do it mm-hmm. because it is what we do. It's part of our tradition and our mm-hmm. heritage. As long as um, white people have been um, on mainland Australia and Tasmania, we've been hunting to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. the larger the larger voting groups in the cities get to decide whether a species should be eradicated rather than, than managed. So that's why I enjoy the challenge of deer management. So is it a fair statement to say that the fallow deer population in Tasmania is growing, has grown? Fair statement? Yep. Well, if you, if you look at the data, the data says that deer peaked at about 2015, 2016. Okay. We've, we've had no real data from about um, 2018. Um, there was a trend on most of the graphs that said that the deer population was taking a downturn from that point. And the reason for that is because the shooting groups realised that we had to be part of a solution, mm-hmm. ever-increasing deer numbers. So we lobbied the government to have um, bag limits increased on antlerless deer. We, Makes sense. We, we lobbied to have um, no quotas on crop protection tags so farmers didn't have to say, well, I need to shoot 50 deer. They, they, all they would need is a permit to say they needed to reduce the deer and then they could shoot um, unquoted numbers until they got deer to a level. So, so the hunting groups were out there promoting this to bring deer numbers back under control. In that time, the government has had um, an investigation into the deer numbers in Tasmania, and that fell around a similar time that we were negotiating for additional bag limits for us to harvest um, more than three deer a year, which was the bag limit up until about 2016, 2017, once the hunters start to to put it out there that we wanted to harvest more deer because we wanted to um, see the population reduced. What, so the government took that up and we've seen some decreasing numbers in the data. Um, when the data comes out over the next couple of years, we did an aerial survey in Tasmania that had done some estimates on deer numbers and the government's committed to do that again in another two years. So. It'll be really interesting now that um, the the no tags and no quotas for antlerless deer take effect over a two or three year period. We'll be able to see some real data to say, well, yes, yeah, the recreational hunters have done a good mm. job or not in bringing back into line the, the population of deer. Isn't that what we want? It sounds exactly what we want from hunters, right? Because what you're doing is you're going to be reducing that you're going to be reducing the conflict. And here, when I say conflict, the conflict here, it sounds like, is deer populations growing to an abundance such that they spill over, not that they're not in the national parks, but they spill more over into the national parks. And the Tassie government themselves having to take things into their own hands and send the choppers up and start culling deer. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're lucky at the moment. We're lucky in the fact that Tassie at the moment hasn't... Does Tassie cull deer from helicopters? No, that's what I was about to to say. So we've been lucky that that's been avoided in Tasmania because when you do the numbers on the national parks in Tasmania, the the sightings and the data tells us there's not a great amount of deer there. Now, the shooting groups, 
The shooting. Why is that? Just population well, or habitat or what? Or both? It's all to do with habitat. I mean, the carrying capacity of that land is extremely low, even for our native wildlife. Mm, let okay. alone let alone a paddock grazing animal like a deer to put mm. in you know that snow alpine country the fallow deer don't do well in that area um so the the deer numbers are, are not increasing at a huge rate in those areas i mean I, i've spoke with people and you get differing um feedback from different people within the um, department. I spoke with a, a young guy that does the camera trapping for the department only about six or eight weeks ago, and and we talked about all of the noise that's being made about, you know, the walls of Jerusalem National Park in Tasmania. You know, where this is this is the proposed area that the federal government's put up um, four hundred thousand dollars, and then there's another state government grant of another four hundred thousand dollars to look at ways of reducing deer by a helicopter culling and ground shooting in the walls of Jerusalem National Park. In but Tasmania. The truth of the matter is... That's in Tasmania, right? Yeah, that's in Tasmania. But the truth, okay. truth of the matter is they're going to do a trial on helicopter culling, but the truth of the matter is when you talk to the people who do the camera trapping, they're saying the deer aren't there. They're saying that the deer that will be shot by these helicopters will be shot around the edge of the National Park. They're not actually in the walls of Jerusalem National Park. You know, and that comes from a guy um, within the department that was setting up the camera traps. And he was, we were talking openly about where his cameras were, um, where, what deer were on those cameras. And we're talking about, we're talking about an $880,000 grant to trial helicopter culling in Tasmania. Mm. Now, when you look at their tremora, camera trap data, it says there's probably 50 or 80 deer on the border of the walls of Jerusalem National Park. What we're saying to the government and what we, what we said to the government 10 years ago, you need to open these national parks so recreational hunters can, can fix this problem. And if we'd have been allowed in there 10 years ago, we wouldn't be having the problem that we have now where there's 50 to 80, maybe 100 deer sitting on the outside of the walls of Jerusalem National Park. Because they've been shot. Mm. So, so there's no public land hunting in Tasmania right now. Not, not on the, not on our national parks. No, there, there are on some of our parks and reserves, but our national parks, um, no, definitely no hunting at all. The like Walls of Jerusalem National Park is that a very popular national park? You would see a lot of people recreate in the that national park. I, I actually haven't had a look at the data, but I would suggest that it's, it's very remote um, and it is only for the keenest of bushwalkers. You know, you've got to be pretty dedicated to want to go into that rugged sort of area. The walking paths in there, from what I understand, are not that, um, not that great. It's pretty um, inhospitable place, um, cold, wet, miserable. Um, but again, very pristine um, part of Tasmania. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, deer are is, is such a such a controversial topic in Australia. Yep. Um, yeah, and it's and it's funny how you know as you were talking, I was thinking about like, well, why don't they just raise the tag limits, man? You know, there's there's a density problem. You've got yep. hunters that seem to be doing the job, but as you said, you guys did that already. 
Yeah. You did it in 2016. You're like, hey, give us more tags so that we can help the situation out. And it seems to have seems to have worked. Yeah. And the the problem with the the problem with well, not that it's a problem. It, it is it is a farmer's choice. It is a farmer's choice whether they allow hunters onto their land. Right. And because 95 percent of the fallow deer herd in Tasmania is on private property, so. Um, that farmer then decides um, how many shooters, um, what shooters, um, how they're going to shoot, what happens on their farm. Some of the farmers in Tasmania that make the most noise about um, deer being a problem don't have hunters on their land. But they, they have um, large herds that affect their ability to um, earn an income from that land. So they're looking to the government for the government for a solution on what should happen with these these deer as opposed to um, another larger number of farmers that are out there proactively engaging with um, recreational hunters and hunting groups. Um, some of our meetings that we've had with the department over the last um, few months um, have been really productive. Like we've had some really good chats with the um, park services here about um, sending in ground shooters before the choppers are used. So the choppers will be used as a second option as opposed to recreational hunters. So mm-hmm. making some ground and we're having some discussions around that. We're also having some discussions around some trained, um, some additional training for recreational hunters so that they brought border on being more of a professional than a recreational pursuit so that, you know, so that a farmer can ring one of the major, yeah, yeah. I, I want, you know, 10 precision guys to come in, do this job and then go away and, and not make demands on my farm to come and cut firewood and do all the stuff that, that normally a hunter does. Like a hunter um, gets access to a farm and then he becomes, not always, but a lot of times they become a burden. So you can't expect every farmer to allow um, every hunter to go on their land, even if they do have a problem with deer. So, but shooters have got to be smart enough, or hunters have got to be smart enough that you know to be part of the solution. We've got to offer up alternatives, and that's why we looked at you know sending in ground shooters before the choppers, offering up semi-trained or or professionally trained um, shooters to go into properties that don't want recreational hunters, so that the deer can actually be reduced, so the deer are not a burden. And then once you take boys mm-hmm. out of deer, um, hopefully we can get back to managing them, you know, properly. So. Mm-hmm. Andrew, seems like a simple solution here um, yep. in my brain, which is a solution that's used all around the world. It does not sound like, or maybe you'll, you're about to correct me, doesn't sound like it's being used in Tasmania. So these farmers, these farmers that are making noise, let me say that, to the government to say, hey, I've got a deer problem, you need to come in, you need a cull, you know don't want to engage recreational hunters why aren't they just why aren't they looking at the value add that the deer provide which is essentially an a a second income yeah which happens all over the world hey i've got deer on my property you want to come shoot a deer i'll charge you a hundred dollars a day to come onto my property and hunt if you want to kill a fallow with a quality deer management system that's in place anything that scores again i have no idea this is how naive I am to fallow deer. I have no idea how fallow deer are scored, but let's just say they're over 
you know, 15 points, it's an added, you know, 500 uh, Aussie dollar fee on the trophy. Yeah. And that farmer is about to make an extra thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Why are they not doing that, Andrew? Well, some farmers are. Some of the some of the ones that are supporters of um, of recreational hunting and quality deer management in Tasmania make considerable money out of the deer that um, they have on their land. There, there are other farmers um, that have been made substantial offers for the hunting control of their their deer herds, but I think we're a long way. Behind. Why would they not take it? Why would they not take it if it's substantial money? I, I think, They're in the business of making money. Yep. I think that the issue with it is, and I stand to be corrected, but I, I think the fear in Tasmania is the fear of losing control over what happens on their farm. And and from all the farmers that I've dealt with, um, and I've dealt with, I've dealt with farmers from the side that hate hunters, you know, because they've had a bad experience at some point in their life, and they're never okay. going to on hunters again. And we've we've tried through our hunting associations here to to make it okay for them guys and to help those guys. But you're never going to change them on. They're never going to allow people walking around their properties with guns. Uh, yeah. Yep. Controlled by the government. And then we have we have other shoot other properties that um, you know. There's one very large property in in Tasmania. The amount of money that he could make off deer, honestly, um, he's he's probably one of the most wealthiest property owners in Tasmania, and and the problem that shooters produce for him, as opposed to what he could make out of them, um, is very limited. I mean, I, I, we could see this property falling into this anti-deer um, sort of scenario a few years back, and and I met with a few of the senior guys of this hunting group and I said look I said why don't you go to this property owner and say we will give you a hundred thousand dollars every single year for the hunting rights for fallow deer on your farm even if you don't want the money we'll donate it to a charity in mm. your family name mm. that's the value of hunting I mean the value of hunting is so underestimated in Australia I mean uh, totally agree look at Craig Harper that came over and um and the guys from the US that have come over here and hunted with me and, and they're saying shit guys in the US would pay five, six, seven thousand dollars to to come and hunt, you know, a large kangaroo, a fallow deer and and have the experience that Craig Harper had. You know, we had um we've had other people from the US over, you know, and, and but we're so far behind when it comes to the value because so many Tasmanians have hunted deer for free for so many years and you say to a Tasmanian hunter you really need to compensate this farmer somehow for his broken fences and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like the damage that these deer are doing they go oh he, he doesn't want any money from me where in actual fact you know some of the best run properties that are producing some of the best fallow bucks you know pay forty and fifty thousand dollars a year to that property owner so that all of a sudden, when they do their budgets every year for their farm, they're going, okay, well, we're going to get $50,000 from the hunters. That goes straight to our bottom line. There's no cost involved in that. You know, and and more more Australian hunters have got to start to think that way because, um, you know, the tourist hunting and 
Um, you look at New Zealand. Um, I've travelled to New Zealand a couple of times. You know, I've, I've travelled to Alberta and hunted um, mule deer, and and we paid you know quite good money to hunt all um, the mm-hmm. animals. And and Australia's no different. You know, but we we ourselves tend not to value the animals that we have. So that's what makes it hard to convince a farmer that we can um, right. take the hunting on his land. I mean, the property that I I run, we pay we pay them quite a few thousand dollars a year, but the property owner only speaks to one person. He speaks to the club president, and the club president filters everything out to the other 70-odd um, members. Um, the, the money's funneled in through the president, goes to the property owner, everything's open book, and we have a, we have a great relationship with a great property owner. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and we're third-generation um, property owner, and, and we have a great relationship. But, but unfortunately, you know, not all hunting groups see the, the dollar value in the, in the deer because we've, we've had it for free for so long. Yeah, I think that you're totally correct. I think Australia undervalues its wildlife resources. You know, the Bantang and the Buffalo are good examples in which you have capitalized economically on those two wildlife resources and the people pay really good money to go hunt them. But yeah, Tasmania, do you, is there a public license? Do you have to pay a public license every year to hunt fallow deer yourself? Yes, we do. We pay, and it's it's combined with our other hunting licenses. Like we'd buy a combined um, game hunting license that allows us to hunt wallaby and kangaroo and duck and then deer. It's just a, a it's a tick. Okay. The box. Okay. So the deer part would cost about you know seventy or eighty dollars on addition to a normal license, and that allows you to harvest one buck and unlimited um, female does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's the duck hunting in Tasmania? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, we um, we've got three or four, or five different varieties of ducks. Most of the the ones that you see on mainland Australia, the property that that we manage, we've got a, a large lake, um, a man-made lake on there that we stock with trout for the for the um, for the hunters and their families are allowed to come and fish and stay in the cabin there, and and yeah, they're allowed to shoot duck and deer and wallaby and. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good setup, you know. If you, I don't know if you know um, Craig Harper. Yeah, I've met Craig. I know yeah, Craig. Yeah. Ever talked to him? He he um, he spent a week with me, stayed in my cabin there, and um, really really nice guy, and gave us a lot of tips about you know burning and regeneration and and looking after our property and yeah, he he had a good time there. It, do you, how? Let me ask this as a sort of final wrap up. The you know. The quality deer management principles here in the United States aren't just about antler restrictions. It's not just letting them grow, right? Let them let them grow, let them grow, let them walk, let them grow. Yeah. But it's also about habitat. It's also about manipulating habitat. It's about creating, you know, um, travel corridors, security corridors, sanctuary zones, uh, bedding areas, uh, food plots, and whatnot. You, that in my brain, all of those elements, those concepts I just laid on the table, do not ring true in an Australian landscape. No, and and generally that's you're correct. Um, we've taken we've taken one part of it, and and I, and I don't know whether it's our culture, and, and I think I think it is. It's our low value um, of the resource, 
um, that that puts a handbrake on us investing in um, food plotting um, mm-hmm. or all this stuff. And I think it's it's because of that low value and and the fact that um, trophy potential in Tasmania without improvement um, and without management, trophy potential is very poor. You know, like the majority of the majority of deer in Tasmania would be, you know, fifth 14, 15 points on a fallow buck, probably, you know, a two-and-a-half to a three-and-a-half-year-old buck. They usually get to that size. They get a little bit of palmation on them, and most shooters will shoot them. You know, on, on the property that, that we manage, not that we're, we're not any better or any worse as far as food or anything else goes, but we, we don't allow our guys to harvest bucks under 20 points. So mm. we encourage um, all of our guys to ensure that they, they can't, count the antler points on those bucks. You know, back in the early days, we got permits um, and we, we brought farmed um, fallow bucks with better traits and we released them into our herds. We do burns and we've done feeding areas. And, and the good relationship that we have on our block is there's one area in the centre of our farm where we don't harvest antlers. So then, you know, we have an area where, um, where the farmer allows us one block which is a sheep block of about two and a half, three thousand acres, um, where that's just deer fodder. So we fertilise and and seed that every year, so that um, there's more food there for the deer. So in some of the properties where we've increased the value, so the value is about seven or eight hundred dollars to hunt on our farm, but that okay. gives you year round access, and that's that's still extremely cheap, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what what our guys get and. And we harvest, you know, um, you talk about how they measure deer. Well, uh, they use a Douglas scoring system, which is a New Zealander's um, um, scoring system. We're not too keen on it in Australia because, well, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a qualified scorer, but I don't like to detract from a deer. You mm. know, if I've got one point that's nine inches long and another one that's 10, to me, he's 19 inches. You know, he's yeah, right, not, right. Yeah, you know, so. So I always use the quality scoring system and I always manage for what the deer is. And, but we, we consistently harvest animals, you know, um, 210 to 240, some of our, our better animals, like a 240 animal. Um, I don't know, I'll just, I'll just pick up the camera and I'll, I'll walk and I'll show you just a couple of the, the 240 um, animals. So you can see, um, oh, get this one up here. The corner, incredible, and a couple there. Um, look, you fit. are into fallow deer, man. What are that? How many heads do you have in that room? Uh, Ten. Quite a few. If you see here, this bloke here's got these big basil snags. Two big points that grow back out the back of his head. You know, very, yeah, yep. very rare, and and you only get them on a an animal that's eight or ten years old that's been managed properly, and he he. He was one of our bucks that that was had been on the farm for a long, long time. You know, he'd been there, you know, four or five years. We'd been keeping an eye on that buck, and and he was bigger the year before, but he didn't have the, all the extra gear. So, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. good quality bucks, and and stuff like that can be, you know, of high value for you know for hunters, and and, and I think if we get to a point where um, 
you know, people understand, especially Australians understand the value of their deer. When you look at the amount of money that the government will pay to eradicate them as opposed to what we could earn the farmers um, to keep them, um, I think there's got to be some balance there where, you know, Australians start to look at the value of what they've got and, and the value of being able to walk free in the bush with your firearm, um, you know, not always having to kill something, but being able to go out and do that freely is worth more money than, you know, than a visit to some shrink in a, in a city somewhere on a straight. No, 100%. You know, you're touching on a, on a topic that is, I think, probably a worldwide, worldwide conundrum that hunters face, which is approaching governments and saying, governments, why are you spending taxpayer dollars yep. to do a job that we as hunters will freely pay you to do? Yep. Now, certain circumstances, obviously, hunters cannot do the job because there's just too many deer. Yeah. Uh, or too many animals, too many, too many wildlife. Uh, but in situations like this, where you know it seems like you guys do a fairly decent job of of controlling populations, uh, certainly you know let the farm, let the hunters pay, the farmers pay into the economy, and let the government use the tax dollars for for other things that may be suitable for society. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not just in Tasmania. Mainland Australia is. I mean, you look at the Victorian government. Are spending um, millions and millions of dollars in Victoria trying to eradicate um, Samba deer out of the Snowy River system over there, and they're shooting thousands of deer from the helicopter in a national park that shooters have been locked out of for the last 20 years. And the bushfires go through and clear all the foliage, so then they use that as an excuse. We, we need to go and eradicate the deer because... Um, they're eating the new foliage and the bush is never going to recover because the deer are there, even though the deer have been there for 30 years and and we've not allowed to go and hunt them, you know. So mm -hmm. some, mm -hmm. some management um, policies in Australia, it's very hard to get you know, these government guys to understand that, that they're being manipulated into, you know, using um, our taxpayers' dollars to to just pay for what somebody wants to see happen as opposed to what, you know, what good management would, would do. Like in that snowy system, um, there would have been um, hundreds and hundreds of samba hunters and stalkers that would have paid money at local pubs and towns and, and shops along the way to go and hunt in these national parks. And, you know, and, and the barbaric way that the Australian government goes in with helicopters and just mows them down and flies off and, you know, and but most of the public, most of the public don't even know. Like the public from the larger cities, they they don't even know that their government and their taxpayers' dollars are shooting these deer from the air and just leaving them to lay. You know, look, I take the Victorian government because it really annoys me what they've done. Like during COVID, um, during the COVID period, um, when I spoke to the lady that was running the the culling program for that snowy system. Um, I said to her, um, so talk me through the process. How does this happen? And she said, oh, there's a, there's a helicopter pilot, there's a shooter, there's a spotter, and there's a vet on board. And we filmed the helicopter flying over us when we were up there because we went up there and donated some labour when the bushfires went through to help the farmers recover. So I went over from Tassie over there and, mm -hmm. and 
So I, I made contact with them. I said, well, there wasn't four people in the helicopter. And they said, yeah, because of COVID, we can't take the vet or the spotter up. So it's only the, the pilot and the shooter is allowed in the helicopter. So the only person that was going to be in that helicopter that would give you good data and ensure that there was clean kills on all of these animals were kicked out of the chopper because of COVID. And then when I, when I said... Um, that I'd been into the National Park and witnessed what was going on. They didn't want to know what I'd seen. They wanted to know how I'd got into the park and did I know it was illegal and they wanted the footage that I had. You know, so here you are, you've got a, you've got a government that's being told we need to do this because of the environment, but then you've got departments out there that work for the government that don't necessarily go back and say to the government, oh, we're going to drop off the vet, so we're not going to be able to ensure humane kills and, and have a win. Mm -hmm. We give you the data later on. Just don't talk about that stuff. You know, so, and that's the sort of stuff that we come up against, even in Tassie with the departments. But, um, you know, fingers crossed, we've had some, some initial conversations around sending ground hunters in first. So hopefully we'll, um, we'll do a better job than the Victorian government are doing sure, sure. with the Sambity. Well, it sounds like you've got a better track record already, and it sounds like that, um, you know, it's just a conundrum that Australia faces. It's a conundrum of this non-native, whatever you want to call it, non-native, invasive, feral deer species, multiple deer species all across Australia, yeah. and they're uh, sort of butting heads with native biodiversity, native fauna, native flora. And this keen balance in Australia to maintain those that native biodiversity, which is completely understandable. Yep. But it's just the method by which you go by about doing it, in that there's opportunities for the engagement of recreational hunters that may have even pay money back into the system that would help government. Yep. Um, so, no, it's a, it's a it's an interesting 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 discussion. It's never going to be the end. We're going to continue to have it. Uh, but I think what's the most fascinating part about what you this conversation is that I think a lot of people listening to this didn't realize how good a job, how, how good an opportunity fellow deer hunting may be in Tasmania. So fly down to Aussie. Yep. There's how many, there's six deer species in Australia to hunt. Yeah. There's six in, in mainland Australia, but there's only one in Tasmania. But I mean, the, the Victorian Samba deer hunting is probably the best world-class it's by it's by far the best deer hunting that um, that I've ever I've ever done. I mean, I hunt fallow deer. I've hunted rusa red. Um, I've hunted mule deer and whitetail. I hunted whitetail in Prince George, mule deer in Alberta, um, seeker in New Zealand. Um, but our samba deer, and probably because they're an Aussie, um, we love them. I mean, they they're just they hide from you. They don't. They don't necessarily want to run from you. They'll squat and hide. Um, they're a really unique deer to hunt, and um, and when you when you get a big trophy like you're talking a 350 kilo deer, um, you know 20 somewhere between 25 and 30 inch antlers that are you know six and a half kilo skull capped. Um, you know you got a decent lump it's of a crazy it. big animal. Yeah, yeah, they're they're a big dude, and um, and they're one of their favourite to hunt. They they're hard work. They're in near vertical um, goat-like country um, in the high country in Victoria, and they're um, 
they're a really magnificent animal to hunt. Amazing. Well, if anybody's out there is interested in Keen, uh, you certainly should check it out. Andrew Winwood, uh, it's been a pleasure, man. It's been a pleasure having you on the Blood Origins podcast. And maybe one day when I'm in Tasmania, we can uh, go for a bit of a bushwalk with uh, yep. some boomsticks. Yep. Good on you. Appreciate Cheers, it. Mate. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.